Welcome to Behind the Axle. This is a podcast that will take a look at what is going on in the world of wheelchair rugby. We will take a look at the topics and issues that are of concern to the players, coaches, staffs, referees, and classifiers of our league from coast to coast. We hope that you will join me, Mike Klinowski, Dave Mengen, and Hall of Famer Chris Cook as we discuss what is going on in our great sport today. This is Mike Klinowski. Uh, welcome back to Behind the Axle. We've got Chris Cook and Dave Mengen. We are joined this week by the wonderful Hez Runnerfelt of the, um, the Texas, Texas Stampede. Stampede. And uh, she's also uh, part of the Austin Valkyries, the able-bodied uh, rugby squad, all women. Uh, we would love to talk to you all about all the things rugby, uh, whether it's with the Stampede or whether it's uh, talking about your able-bodied time and even talking about your time with the military and as, a, as an occupational therapist. We want to know all things has. So... Welcome, Hez. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're we're lucky to have you. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you. You found us on uh, a, a gorgeous quarantine Sunday, and uh, <laughs> we're glad to have someone to talk to. Because if it's just Chris, Dave, and I, it's it gets really, really boring really quick. So we're we're glad to have you. How are you surviving the quarantine? Yeah. Oh, it's going well. Um, I uh, I'm still working. So that's good. Um, just staying safe and and uh, wearing my mask everywhere. We wear our masks at work all the time. So yeah, quarantine's going good. Miss miss doing what I usually do. No miss rugby and wheelchair rugby. But so tell us a little bit about how you got started with uh, with able bodied rugby with wheelchair rugby. Which came first? Um, able bodied rugby came first. And that's with the Austin Valkyries. Actually, the first team I played for was the Northern State University Wolves. Oh, so wow. the first year I went to college, and I was at Northern State University in Aberdeen, South Dakota, in January of 2000. And I was in the weight room, and some guy came up to me and said, hey, do you want to play rugby? And I said, sure, what is it? And so <laughs> I went to a practice, and I really liked it, and I played my first game and fell in love with it and hooked ever since. Wow. So, Hans, uh, what, what position do you play in rugby? I mostly play lock. Um, I've played throughout the scrum as a flanker and an eight-man, but mostly lock. For those of you who don't know rugby well, lock is the badass on the third row <laughs> uh, in the middle of the scrum, and you have to be very versatile, very strong, and very fast. Are you all those things, Hans? <laughs> oh, Absolutely. <laughs> I, I have a question. How, how did you get the name? How did, how did you get the name Hez? Oh, actually, that started in high school. Um, I, I'm not really sure how it started, to be honest with you, because my mom was really big on me never having a nickname. So that's one of the reasons I think she chose Heather as my name, but never wanted me to have a nickname. And then I think one of my friends just started calling me Hez and it sort of stuck. And so 
followed me through throughout my career. And then you joined rugby, and of course, you made a nickname. I've been a teacher uh, 30 plus years and never had it as before. Many, many Heather. You're the first. So when I heard that name, it's very unique. I was like, that's really cool. So yeah. back to rugby. Actually, can I can I tell a story about when I first met Hez? So I was in Vegas. I was playing with these Sin City Skulls, and I'd flown in. I can't remember who picked me up. It might have been Mike Shock, bro. Yeah, I think it was. So Shock picks me up in his pickup truck, which is about 20 feet off the ground. <laughs> and uh, we get we get to the gym. And Shock goes, oh, and two guys at the airport had to get me in there because there's no way I'm transferring up that high. And Mike, of course, had a uh, some sort of a conveyor belt or something to get him in there. <laughs> anyway, the bottom line is Shock gets out of the truck and he goes, uh, Cookie, I'll go find you somebody to get you out. I'm like, all right. So next thing you know, Garrett Hickling, yes, of Canada, um, and here comes this tall young woman, and he's looking at me. Goes, I would really like to film this, and I said, "What are we going to do here?" And with that, Hez introduces herself to me, and vice versa, and then she proceeds to pick me up like a baby and just cradle <laughs> me in her arms from the seat of this truck that's about her height. And what are you like, six foot, Hez? Yeah, about six foot, six foot one. Mm -hmm. All right, so she picks me up like a baby and just puts me in my chair, and it was a done deal. And that's how we met. It's freaking adorable. Do you remember this? <laughs> yes, I absolutely do. We were at the, uh, what's it, Chuck Milker gym? Is that where that gym Yes, was? exactly. Mm -hmm. I weigh about 170. It was, it was a quick deadlift, and boom, and I was in my chair. Nice <laughs> work. You know, we've hung out a bit, Chris, and I've never, I've never been asked to do that. Let alone, do I think I could? Um, dude, dude, I wouldn't thankful. trust you. Has, has looked very capable. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I will say, in that moment, I was like, "All right, this is going to hurt her back," because I, I weigh about one seventy, one seventy-five. It was not an issue. And then when I found out she was a rugby player and a lock, I was like, "Oh yeah." Okay. <laughs> Good stuff. So, so you, what about wheelchair rugby? How yeah. did you get involved with that? Um, I actually learned about wheelchair rugby in grad school. Um, my program showed us showed us murder ball, which is the first exposure I think a lot of people have to wheelchair rugby. But they showed it in one of our class in our adaptive sports class. And um, I hadn't really figured out which route I wanted to go with being an occupational therapist yet. And I watched that movie and it kind of, because I love rugby. So anything associated with rugby, I automatically just am hooked on. But I liked the idea of adapted sports and it kind of spoke to the things that I believed in that I was learning through being an occupational therapist. And so I wanted to learn more about that in particularly, but, but adaptive sports in general. And when I went to Las Vegas, um, one of the folks that I played rugby with was on the Muscular Dystrophy Association. They were a part of that group. And one of the Sin City Skulls players, Lee, uh, invited our team to come and join a practice. And that's when I met um, 
Eric Wolf and Mike Schockenbauer and Lee, of course, and a few others. And they let us get in chairs. They, they showed us the sport. Uh, and I, was, I loved it. I loved everything about it. So I asked them if actually I could come back and practice with them. They practiced on Friday night. Yeah, so I came back, and eventually one of them actually gave me their old chair. So I got to get in the chair and practice with them and do that every Friday night. Nice. How long did you work with those guys in Vegas? I worked with them, I think I met them shortly after I moved there. So probably since from 2010 until 2013 when, or 2013 when I moved. Yeah, I was with them the whole time. Why did you end up moving uh, down to Austin? A little more opportunity for me here in my field. Okay. Uh, there's a couple of factors that brought me here, but there was more opportunity in my field and more opportunity for you. So, Awesome. So tell me a little bit. I we may go off on a little bit of a tangent here because uh, I want to hear about like what you do in your work and everything. So like, what do you specialize in as an OT? Do you do uh, mainly neurologic? Do you do um, what do you do? So I do um, I mainly do neuro neuro rehabilitation. So uh, neurological diseases and diagnoses, spinal cord injuries, strokes, um, brain injuries, that kind of thing. Um, I work right now full-time at an outpatient clinic, a private outpatient clinic, and uh, all my clients are neuro-based in some capacity. And then um, I also work PRN at um, St. David's Inpatient Rehab Hospital here in Austin. Awesome. Yeah, I didn't know until recently that you were an OT because, like, there's there's certain people that just get pulled into the sport and you don't know what they do until like you sit down and talk to them. And I think the only conversation that we've had, cause we talked for about two, three sentences and then like we end up getting pulled our own uh, different ways. I think it was at middle and muscle a few years ago where uh, we were talking and I was like, Oh yeah, you, you guys should come up and play in Chicago. And I didn't realize you were associated with the Texas team and how much of a butt kicking that would have been. Um, but <laughs> I mean, you guys are always, you guys are always welcome to come up to the bear brawl. We love to have different teams come up and make it a little exciting. Cause as Dave knows, it is pretty much six teams playing each other the entire time. So Every now and then, it's nice to get a butt whooping by by a different team. And I think you guys came up to uh, um, Turnstone a few times because Jeff Fort Butler Wayne. is based yeah. out of there. And yeah. uh, I think uh, Mason and Schockerbauer were there and all those guys. Mm -hmm. And obviously... Uh, they have a great facility in Fort Wayne. It's really they do. nice. And I think that's an opportunity, too, for the, the Austin guys who maybe aren't at the top of their D1 game to get an opportunity to play against some of us D2 level competition. I think Julio came last year, didn't he? The, the uh, Brazilian guy who's just phenomenal. Because you guys had him last year, right? We did. We did. Yeah. I can't remember he if he came great. up. I can't either. I can't. I didn't go to Turnstone last year, yeah. um, and I can't remember why. I think I, I think I had a rugby game that weekend that so wasn't able to go. Yeah. But uh, I love that facility. I think it's absolutely beautiful, and it's set up so well. It really is. I want to. Uh, I want to uh, go back to your rugby for a sec, if we could, as so. Um, 
you you were in San Francisco about oh three four years ago now, and it was sort of a USA thing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, that was, I believe, that was our national. I don't think it was nationals. I think it was the step before that that we were in San Francisco. Because that's when, you were on, uh, yeah, I, yeah, you were on I Treasure that. Island, if I remember. But, sure, I was um, with the Austin Weren't you like also trying, sorry, weren't you also trying out USA team that year or something like that? So I did go to a few USA, to a USA camp. Um, I was invited to go to the women's nationals camp, yeah. Uh, after that, turn after that tournament, actually, or that, um, I think it was like uh, uh, 8 of 8, that's what it was. That was in San Francisco that year. I can't even remember. Was it sevens or fifteens? Fifteens. Fifteens. Do you do sevens or just fifteens? I, I, do, I don't know what I'm... Go ahead. I'm stepping on you. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. You're okay. You're okay. Uh, I, I, do, I do play sevens not well. <laughs> I do it for the fitness. I play social sevens. So uh, it's good for me as a, as a forward to play sevens to get better field awareness and to stay fit uh, during the summer. But I am not an excellent sevens player by any means. <laughs> so sevens came along way after I was done with rugby, way back in early '80s. But I think sevens came along sometime in the '90s. Is that right? Do you know? Oh, I don't really know the history of sevens, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think um, just for those of you who don't know, what we're talking about seven players on each team versus fifteen players on each team, and when it's 15, the scrum is three guys in the front and then four in the middle row and one in the very back. And that basically comprises the scrum of eight people. Whereas sevens, it's just three people on the front and then the other four people are all down the line and they're usually your faster players. But did, have you played any sevens? Because it's, I find it phenomenal. I would love to have played that. But it was it wasn't happening yet. Yeah, I have played seven, uh, and I enjoy it. Like I said, it's it's a very fast-paced game. It's seven-minute yes. halves, and you think, oh, seven minutes, that's not so bad. No, it is sprinting, and people who play seven minutes. No. Yeah, you're running, you're running the whole time, yeah. and yep. there's never a break. Fifteens, at least, you slow down for lineouts, and you slow down for um, being in the scrum, but it's still it's a ton of work because it's ninety minutes. I know yeah. that uh, I did it in high school, so you know we were all we didn't know any better. We were all in shape. <laughs> and, you know, we were looking forward. We were looking forward to drinking a beer after the game was over. That was yeah. But anyway, yeah, back back to you for a moment. So you were on Team USA or no? Nope. No, I never was. Okay. I had okay. I had the opportunity to go to a camp that was it was great. It was such a good learning experience. But no, I was never, I was never selected. What was that like? What was the talent level like? Oh, it was amazing to play alongside some of those girls. Um, I learned a lot from the whole experience, and I was a little bit older when I went too. You know, I, was, I think I was probably the oldest rookie there, so that was quite, wow. yeah, a little bit of an honor, but very intimidating. Um, but I got to play next to some some women who actually got selected to the Olympics side when USA or when seven made it into the Olympics, which is so exciting to watch. Um, yeah, and I've never played it. And 
just to be in a camp with those women and kind of learn what they know and how they've been trained. And it was, it was just a really good opportunity. Um, so, uh, let's, let's go back to some, um, some wheelchair rugby here. And I wanted to ask you how you got started with the Austin squad, because Gumby says all sorts of kind things about you. Uh, he's got a bunch of, uh, really strong women in his life. He's got you, he's got Mandy. What else could he need? Um, (laughs) so he's, he's got his domestic and international ladies. So how did you get drawn into the, uh, into the fold with, uh, Texas? Well, I had moved to Austin and I was sort of, um, I was sort of working with the team, I guess, a little bit. I was around, but I wasn't practicing with them. I think once in a while I would get in a chair and practice with them. Um, and then their uh, equipment manager was relocating to Phoenix, I believe, or to Arizona. Okay. And they didn't have anyone. And so I was there, so I said I would help them out. And to be honest, I didn't even know how to change a tire at the time. <laughs> you learned <laughs> that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just said I would do it until they found somebody to take my place. Since I was, you know, there, yeah, and I've been doing it ever since. So, how many roles do you have with the squad? Because I've heard rumors that you will do whatever the team needs, whenever it needs it, and yeah. that's sort of your thing. Whether it's picking up a Chris Cook, or whether it's changing a tire, <laughs> or whether it's, you know, setting up on the court, making sure that uh, the pick is set off on equipment, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would never do that. Never, <laughs> never. No one ever does that. I no almost, one ever does that. I almost lost I always, an ankle against Shepard doing that. <laughs> and I always exit off the court where I'm supposed to. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as far as roles go for the team, I guess um, equipment, equipment person, I mean, I fixed the chairs as best as I know how. And a lot of, honestly, a lot of the things that I have, everything I've learned has been from people teaching me. So um, fixing the chairs, um, doing what the guys tell me to do to fix them, you know, um, anything that happens on the court or if it's at practice and kind of getting a new guy into the chair and, and tweaking it so it fits him. Yeah. Um, can't filming. I've filmed uh, practices and filmed games or tournaments. Um, helping on, you know, outside of outside of the court as far as like adjustments to hotel rooms if beds need to be lowered or or I think I've taken a door off a hinge once or twice. <laughs> Which the hotels like easier for you to tell us what you don't do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't play. Oh <laughs> uh, I don't coach either. <laughs> I don't coach. Um, I, I have a yeah. follow up question. So uh uh-huh. I've been doing this a long time, and we've burnt out a lot of folks that have been helpers. How do you avoid the burnout? Because it's it's it, it's forever different tasks, and they're they never stop. But how, how do you avoid not getting well, burned out? One of it is I love it. I actually really I really enjoy doing it. I enjoy the people I work with. I enjoy wheelchair rugby in general. Um, so it's first of all that's just a lot of fun for me. I like to be busy, so I don't mind um, kind of being pulled in a couple of different directions. I, I like having a busy schedule, and um, so that doesn't that doesn't really bother me. And everyone is so appreciative. I don't know. I, I don't know. I just really like it, so it's really not a problem. Sometimes I get a little frazzled here and there, but but uh, you know, it, it just comes with such a good community of people 
and, and and it's such a great sport you know who doesn't love it once they discover it yeah my observation has been that people are really enthusiastic and then after a couple of years they're like oh god i need a break these guys <laughs> are so needy even though they're appreciative that it never ends right quads there's all the things they need help with it never ends and so we've seen a lot of people come and go but you've been i don't know what 10 12 years now i've known you and you always have a smile on your face and you're always ready to help people yeah well i think about 10 years is what i've been involved i think one my job helps you know i do i work with a lot of uh people who have had a spinal cord injury and so that helps me kind of understand um maybe a little bit more kind of what the needs are and so it doesn't seem like you're saying where it's needy i don't really see it as needy it's just something that you do um okay necessity and as far necessity. as yeah and as far as right and as far as sports go i mean there are people uh, you know I, I play a sport and so there are people that help us you know there's people running us water there's people taping us up there's people that's you know, we're running the sidelines quick to have them tape our fingers when they're dislocated or hauling our <laughs> stuff for us. You know, like there's all these people that are helping that help me as a player. And so it kind of gives me an opportunity to, to do that for someone else. That has to help because, you know, when you're competing and you don't want to have to worry about something else, you just ask for something and you don't think about how it comes out a lot of times. So understanding the other side of that probably helps mm -hmm. a lot because there yeah. are people I've, I've seen that, uh, have trouble with it because because they don't understand the other side of that coin. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I mean, Mike and I, it's, it's Mike and I both thing. got to read your uh, nomination for Spirit of Achievement, so we understand that you are definitely appreciated. So, and you should I be getting a plaque soon. <laughs> you, you should be getting that award in the mail soon. I just, I really? just, yeah, no. yeah. You get an actual thing. It's not just a post on social media. You get an award. So, um, well, that was that was incredible. Thank you. Like. Well, you're yeah. incredible. So, <laughs> it, it really is something that's cool that the um, the entire membership can give back to people that have given so much time and so much effort and you know blood, sweat, and tears to to you know, what, what do you get in return other than like maybe a warm, fuzzy feeling at the end of the day and some tape mm. stuck to the bottom of your shoe? Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's a good day. Stick up yeah. on everything. <laughs> right. Just smell like pine trees. Circles from the grease on the axles <laughs> that get on your pants. Yes. Your you so, know, it's, it's funny you should say what you get at the end of the day because I think, and I say this a lot to, um, to my coworker, to anyone who will actually listen. I actually get a lot out of it. For one, I learn so much on when we travel and when we practice, on uh, things that kind of help me with my career. You know, there's there's transfers, different kind of transfers people do, how they live their everyday life, uh, tricks that I don't know or I wouldn't know. You know things I, Again, I get taught a lot on through this whole experience. So, you know, I, I do get something great out of it. I get to a lot of the tricks that I teach my patients are ones that I have learned from from players. You know, they show me how they do things, and I'm like, that's way better than what I've been teaching. So that's Where, that goes back into that whole giving thing. You you get that, and then you give to someone else, and I think that's right. that's something that um, really deserves a little additional attention. And I 
I think it's like what you're doing is you're affecting like the lives of your players, but you also affect the lives of the hundreds and hundreds of people that come into your clinic and get something out of your experience there. So you and rugby keep giving a lot and it's very much appreciated. So congratulations on your honor. It's very well deserved. Hey, Mike. Yes, sir. Hey, by the way, yes, congratulations, Ed. But Mike, mm -hmm. as an able-bodied therapist, um, how do you avoid the burnout? What, what, what is, is the same thing Ed's talking about? He doesn't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, he's, he's coach. He's secretary. I mean. I know. I know. It's constant. I, I mean, at some point, you got to turn the light switch off for a few minutes. It's his hair one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's the same thing that, that Hez has been talking about. It's like you you learn something new and some people just really like to give to other people. Um, Hez, would you say you're, you're someone who does a good job at receiving compliments and gifts? Because I have trouble with it. I mean, do you just like do it because you love it? Do you like... I mean, there, there's something else innately about you that makes you do what you do. And I think it's just yeah. part of your personality. I get a little uncomfortable, actually. There we go. Now we I got mean, to it. If we just keep giving you compliments, we'll make you uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, well, that'll work. Yeah, that'll work. I get a little uncomfortable with that um, just because I, I do I do legitimately enjoy it. And I think as, an adult, as adults, we, we do what we want. We do what we like. You know, if we yeah. don't enjoy something, we don't stick with it very long. Yeah. And, and I've been doing this for 10 years, and it doesn't really feel that long. I'm not doing equipment stuff for 10 years, obviously, not only for about five or six, but, but being involved in the sport in some capacity, you know, I, I love it. Yeah. I have to. So, Hez, you've, you've been pulled into a few USA camps, right? Like, mm -hmm. like stuff like that. What's your favorite part about that? What do you... What do you do when you're there? Are you like just hanging out, listening to uh, Chuck French troll people on Facebook or or what? <laughs> well, I do hang out by Chuck French as much as possible <laughs> so I can learn everything because Chuck knows everything. So I aspire to be as good as him. At, yes, at he this, does. <laughs> he's such a great dude. Such a great dude. I mean, he's just a good mix of knowledge with the sport. Like he, he can ref. He, he can... I think he could coach if he wanted to. Uh, he knows everything about equipment, anything that breaks. Any, I mean, he knows the players well. And then he's got, he knows how to do the best practical jokes. So, yeah. you know, he's just a great guy to, to be around. But I really like, I spend as much time next to him as possible to, to kind of learn as much as he knows. Uh, that's always a really great experience. And then to see the athletes, to see athletes at that level, I mean, you're dealing with Paralympians here. You know, you're dealing with people that have competed at such a high level and have been, are at the top of their game. And that's so much fun to watch what their, what their training is and, and how they're preparing for, for the next tournament or the, or the, the Paralympics being that they were coming up. And yeah. so that I think is a lot, that's really special to be a part of. Do you, do you find yourself like at those camps being like kind of fangirlish? It's like, cause I, I'm, I'm only telling you that because I have this certain feeling when I you walked might. into, I, when you see someone that plays that well and you know, I'm used to the D2, D3 level. And then you see what the best of the best are doing. 
You're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm hanging out with Joe Delagrave and Jeff Butler and they're, they're for real. Like they're this good. I mean, do you, do you ever end up in a moment where you just step back and you're like, God, it's so cool being here. It's, it's really, yeah, I think so. I do have to, it is kind of overwhelming to sit back and watch again, such stellar athletes performing, you know, people who have, have made it and competed at that level. It yeah. is, it's kind of, again, it's really kind of humbling to, to be able to be a part of it for whatever, for that camp. Yeah. Yeah. And then to, again, like to find out as someone who does participate in a sport and um, kind of what they do, you know, what do you, what do you eat? What are your, what are your secrets? How do you train? Um, and, uh, and kind of getting some of that knowledge for myself too. So if you had, uh, if you had to buy a jersey of a player on USA, whose jersey would you buy? Here we go. <laughs> I would buy them all. Oh. <laughs> No, no, no. That's too I diplomatic. Can't, I can't buy them all. You <laughs> can't. I just a different one every day. <laughs> all right. So, which one would you wear first? Oh, right, man. The gold medal match. What would you be wearing, right? Yeah. Uh, just say a Dave. <laughs> honestly, say a Dave Menzies jersey. Just make him happy. <laughs> there is no Dave such Man. thing. Ah. <laughs> Maybe I'd that's make my it, own. I'm sending, you, I'm sending you an old jersey. That's it. Send <laughs> Please do. Please do. I'd wear it for sure. Hey, God, that's, that's a, that's a really good question. <laughs> it is, actually, Mike. Did you play um, any other sports? Were you basketball, volleyball, anything? Oh, I was a terrible basketball player. Absolutely terrible. Really? I played. It's the only thing I've ever quit, really, in my life. Um, <laughs> I played in fifth and sixth grade. And I was, oh, I was so awkward, you guys. I, um, so I'm a musician, uh, or I was. When I was growing up, that was my thing. I wasn't an athlete. Um, what do you play? I, I played clarinet. So I played alto and soprano clarinet. Um, and that was my main, my main focus. And so I tried basketball in fifth and sixth grade. In the middle of a sixth grade game, I actually got a technical. And I wasn't allowed to play the rest of the game. And I asked my mom if I could quit. And she said, yes. <laughs> and it was the only thing she's ever let me quit. I was, I was terrible. I was tall and that's all I had going for me. I was absolutely awful. And then in high school, um, so I really liked football, which kind of led into my love of rugby when I discovered that. But, of course, women so you like play. And I come from, you like I do. <laughs> I like to say uh, I crave proprioceptive input. <laughs> <laughs> student manager for a football team for four years uh and I, I loved it so I kind of got to work with them and then I was in track as well I was a pole vaulter when I was in high school wow. that's a badass sport that right there grade. I couldn't do it I couldn't get over really? that far yeah <laughs> I well I I um I wasn't really built for it so pole vaulting had just started at our school for women and I tried it and uh, I did I did okay. You know, it wasn't great. I made it to state every year, but I didn't go very far in state. Um, but I was so, I was, I just, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed sports and that kind of stuff. I would work out on my own or, or, or did track, but, um, 
my first my first passion was actually music. Sports was kind of a relief for me to be able to do. It didn't matter if I got first or didn't or second or whatever. I could yeah, I could do it for fun. And I think that was really that was really fortunate for me. I think a lot of people get pressured with with, a, with athletics. Yeah. But we really didn't have anything else for women. All we had was basketball, track, and cheerleading at the time that I went yeah. there. And I was not much of a cheerleader, if you can guess that. Which is, I mean, I can't imagine in <laughs> South Dakota there was a great deal of six foot female athletes, or were there? Well, you might be surprised. I'm just from a really small town. I'm from a 400 person town in the northeast corner. So I mean, that was just, uh, you know, there's just just a small school, so it just doesn't have a, it didn't have a lot of sports. I think they've grown since then, but they just didn't have a. They had a good sports program, but again, up there it, with that population, it's a little bit more difficult to get in volleyball or or that kind of thing. Can we make a shift here? Tell us about your uh, desire to join the military and all that went into that and your experience. Well, I I really wanted to join the military. Um, I was I was very excited. I was actually hoping to go active duty and circumstances kind of changed my senior year, so I decided to go reservist. I'm really glad I, I ended up going that route. So I signed up, I joined March 27th, 1999, and I went to basic training at Fort Leonard Wood in July of 99. I was there until December. But yeah, I joined, and I originally, I wanted to be something like a, like a, mecha uh, like a medic, and they didn't have that. You have to pick a job that is needed in a unit near near where you are. Hmm. So I um, I wanted to be a medic, and they didn't have that. So I was like, okay, what would hobble mechanic? I think that would be fun. And they said, no, we don't have that either. I said, what about an ammunition specialist? And they said, nope. I'm like, well, what do you have? And so that's how I ended up deciding my military career is just what whatever was available that had a bonus so I could get my mom on board <laughs> for the idea. <laughs> <laughs> it had some benefits with it. And so I ended up signing up as a 54 Bravo, which is, uh, at the time it was called NBC, which was Nuclear Biological Chemical oh, wow. Specialist. Yeah, now it's now it's changed to a 74 Delta, and it's referred to as Seaburn, which is Chemical, Biological, Radiological, Nuclear Specialist. That is absolutely terrifying. It yeah, sounds really sounds fancy, fancy, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds like all the things I don't want to be around. Like all at once. It's actually a pretty cool job. We get to, um, we get to, so every, when you go through AIT, you do go through the live nerve agent chamber, which is kind of fun. You get to go through where there's actually some, some dangerous things that you get to test. And then every time you go to a sergeant school, um, you get to go through that live nerve agent chamber again. Wow. So you get really used to, you spend a lot of time in, in, uh, well, at the time it was called mop gear and now it's, but then it was called J-List when I got out. I'm not sure if they changed the name. But, but um, you were you were a first sergeant, right? You were a first I sergeant? Got out as a, so <laughs> there's some confusion there. I was, when I got out, I, I consider myself a staff sergeant, an E6. I got my E7 about a month before I got out. Okay. Um, I was acting first sergeant for a year, which is, <laughs> which is why Gumby refers to me as first sergeant. Um, <laughs> one year when I was... I was with the 355th Chemical Company out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Our first sergeant got deployed, and so they needed to replace him. And we, I was the one selected. So I was acting as a 
acting first sergeant for about a year or so, and uh, as an E6, because it's an E8 position. Wow. So that means nothing to me. But I had, a really good, <laughs> I had a good unit. I had a great commander. <laughs> so it. So in the military, they've got different rankings. They have enlisted, which is E. So you hear them say E1, E2, E3. And, and for officers, it's O. And the reason they use that in the military is because an E6 in the Army is called a staff sergeant, but an E6 in the Marine Corps is called something else, and an E6 in the Navy is called something else, and the Air Force. So if an Air Force person comes up to me and says, I'm, I'm a tech sergeant, I, don't necess- I may not know, how to, you know who outranks who or how I should properly address them or if I need to stand not parade rest or if I should be expecting that from them. So by using kind of a universal language, this E one through, uh, you know, this E system or this O system, it gives all branches kind of a, a way to identify what each rank is versus just the title. So that's all that is. So you've, you've worked with a few athletes that have been post-military. Uh, I know Mason is shock military as well. Yes. And yeah. then, yes. um, a few other fellas, like, do you find that that's uh, a way that you guys have some commonality? Like you, mm-hmm. you feel more comfortable around them or is it something where it's like, um, you know, just tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I really enjoy veterans. I, I enjoy, I, I loved being in the military. I enjoy military people and I kind of understand them. I, I feel like I relate a little bit better to them sometimes than, than others, so I enjoy working with them. And you always got something to talk about. You can talk about where you went to basic training, where you did your um, your your job training at, what bases you've been to, if you've been deployed or not. Um, you know, you kind of have this. I don't know. You've kind of got. You always kind of have a common ground. I feel once you've been in of, of topic discussions, you can always have a, a good conversation, and and you kind of understand um, certain components of. Uh, for like for those individuals who maybe have been deployed and where they've been and, and what year it was and, or um, I don't know I guess I guess it's just kind of a bond there yeah. that uh, that y'all have and I'm, I'm partial to Marines I was attached to the Marine Corps when, to the first map when we were deployed so I really enjoy Marines a lot <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy Shock very much <laughs> yes well Shock's a great guy I mean he's just yeah. easy to talk to and Actually, one of my my favorite shock memories is down, I think it was in Columbia, where, Dave, I think you were running that team, and shock was also playing for Oscar Mike, so another veteran squad, and we're like, just be careful, shock, just be careful, you know, we need you for our next game, and within, like, the next 15 minutes, he was concussed on the sidelines, and... Like I went to go check on him and uh, he was leaning back on the ground in the, in the staging area and uh, turns his head yaks. And uh, it's like, I'm going to need you to get that mic. <laughs> I'm like, I'll, I'll go get a mop buddy. But he was, he was not okay for the rest of that trip. Dave, did he ever play with us again that weekend? Did he I? Did. did he, he didn't play that day though. No, he was, he was not good was for that day. Sensitivity to light, headache, just, I mean, because we had our standard uh, uh, concussion protocol that we were running down there, which is, do you feel okay? 
No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's called CTE normal. (laughs) Look, I have I have tons of shock stories, but I can't tell tell them because he has way too much dirt on me. So, So, with that said, um, I'm curious. Also, has so yeah, you've worked with folks across the military. Why is it you just said? Like Marines are sort of uh, preferential in that way. Uh, they're the they're the branch other than the Army that I worked the closest with. I never had the opportunity to work all, work closely with the Air Force and the Navy, so I'm a little I'm more familiar with them. We were we were stationed with them for a while. Gotcha. So I think it, I think I just understand that uh, that branch outside of it because they you know knew the Army but I didn't get a chance to work with anybody else really except for the Marine Corps. So I think that's probably why. Just more knowledge in that area. Got it. And I got a question for you. So, you know, we're football fans. Not going to see any anytime soon, I guess. But um, So Army, Navy, and Air Force all have football teams. Why don't the Marines have a football team? Because they're part of the oh, Navy. I don't know. <laughs> Aren't they part that's of the Navy? Crazy, you know, they, if you ask it well... They are, aren't they? Is that, is that the reason? I guess so. I have no idea, honestly. <laughs> I don't know. Well, if you if you ask people like Shock or Big Say, they'll tell you Marines are the toughest, but they don't have a football team. I know. I, I think they have a rugby team. <laughs> staying out of is it? <laughs> <laughs> I think each no, branch does. Don't. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. <laughs> I didn't expect an answer. Just throwing it out there. Are you still, of course I am. Are you still <laughs> trying to, are you still part of the reserves or are you done? I'm done. I got out in 2012. Wow. I did 13 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that was the end of your Vegas deal then. And then you moved? Yep. Yep. All right, let's talk rugby for a minute. Do you think we're going to have a season, Tess? What's going to happen? Oh, golly, I don't know. I have no idea. I have not. Uh, how do you feel <laughs> about that, the whole situation of of helping a team? You understand the close proximity at which you have to interact with players. And uh, how do you feel about that? What, what are your concerns? Where are you comfortable, not comfortable? Um, what do you think it's going to take? where you're going to feel comfortable going back to rugby as a support person? So, oh, that's a good question. Um, so I've been, I've been working this whole time. So for me, I've still been encountering a lot of people. So I'm accustomed to washing my hands regularly and using a lot of hand sanitizer and cleaning equipment and commonly touched surfaces, wearing my mask all the time. Um, so it's, for me, it's not really, I'm pretty comfortable returning to that environment simply because I, I'm used to being around people and having to take extra precautions, you know, make, uh, so I feel like for my, my perception might be a little bit different just because I've, I've had the opportunity to practice a lot of guidelines and, and, uh, get used to interacting with people and, and still staying safe. Um, so for me personally, I'm, I'm comfortable with it, but um, I can definitely see where there's a lot of nervousness with returning back to the season. You know, it's a very, it's a contact sport, wheelchair mm-hmm. rugby is. 
you know, and then you've got a lot of extra precautions that you need to take with putting that many people in one space and, and you never know what's going to happen. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there can be a lot of risks there. So I think my, again, I think my perception might be a little bit different than, than some, but for me, yeah, I'm, I'm eager to get, I'm eager for it to get started again. I miss it. And I'm, I'm with you, Hez. Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit before we started up where it's like when all the COVID stuff was coming out, it's like, let's rub some dirt on it. Let's go play some rugby. Mm-hmm. And I think that the more and more information we got, the less of a good idea that sounded. Um, mm-hmm. And we just keep learning stuff again and again. And part of me is like, we're following all the guidelines as well as possible, but Things are going to happen, and I just want to get back to normal so badly. Like, it's hard for me to describe it. It's like, I just, I don't want anyone to get sick. I don't want anyone to die. I don't want anything happening to any single athlete or anyone involved in this family. Right. Have you guys, just personal question, have you guys been tested? Yes. I have not been tested. Last week. Yeah, we, um, I have. I've also been, so able-bodied rugby has been shut down since March. So, and, you know, my gym was closed. So I'm not really around a lot of people other than work and home. So there, I've been kind of taking those. I I guess I've kind of been quarantining pretty well. So Mm -hmm. I haven't put myself at too much risk. But I agree, it's really tough to know what the right answer is. Um, I, I think I was telling you guys at the beginning, I've always been a, a rub dirt on it kind of person, you know, and, and I feel like I've been wrong a lot with this, with this quarantine. So I'm definitely down to do whatever they tell me. They tell me to wear a mask, I wear a mask. They tell me to whatever it is, because it, it just, just, to get the, just to get through this, you know. Yeah. And you can't be too careful. You just can't be, because, you know, we started opening up in Austin, and then we started having a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah, you guys are a hot so spot just, now. We are, we are, and and we had just it happened all, all kind of within a week. We opened our bars uh, up to I think twenty five percent. My numbers are probably off here, and then they opened them up to to fifty percent capacity, and then I think they went a little bit more. And there's just the cases escalated. Yeah. So you just you just can't be too careful. And I I think the. Yeah, that- the part about it is that it can be so different for every single person. It's like, mm-hmm. has you may have a headache for like two or three days and then you're good to go. But then someone who is in every way identical to you is in a hospital face down on a vent for three weeks. Yeah. And it's just like, that's where it comes up to. And this may be getting a little too political where it's like opening up schools and stuff. Where it's mm-hmm. like you're exposing people for extended periods of time. We're not ready to do like restaurants, but we're gonna put a kid next to another gross kid for like eight hours a day, five days a week. I mean, Popping in each other's mouths. Kids and are gross. <laughs> they're gross. Rubbing their boogers on each other. And, and I, I love kids, but they're just <laughs> nasty sometimes. And like something's that's gonna what happen. Per- what was that? That's what- prevented me from well that's what I, I taught mostly middle and high school what prevented me from teaching elementary school was I taught third and fourth grade my very first year of teaching 
and I'm their height. I'm the same exact height as an eight-year-old. <laughs> they wanted to, they wanted to have, have a hug every day. And I found like 75% of the school year, I was sick. And it was like, you know what? I need to get taller students that don't want to hug me all the time. <laughs> you need to stop being yeah. so damn lovable. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that, but I was definitely in their proximity. And it was like, hey. But boom, they're like, they got your hands all over you. And they got snot coming out their nose all the time. Yeah. If you know this, you're a father. You know how it is. So oh, yeah. has I worked I worked pediatrics for like ten years and every year there was always one big thing that would just take us all down. The entire staff would just crumble like dominoes. Like you would see one kid with the sniffles and within like two weeks the entire staff is like at home acting like it's the worst thing ever. The um I think the the worst day ever was when we realized that we had like a stomach flu on the floor in our old hospital. And I was one of the first pers- like first people to get it. And um, I, I had just gone to the bathroom to yak my guts out. And I went to my boss. I'm like, you know, I really got to go home. And she was like, are you sure? And I'm like, I am so sure about this. More sure than anything else. And then... <laughs> uh, and then the entire staff, like we were, we were bringing in reserves from everywhere just because we couldn't staff the floor because everyone was so sick. And, and that was just a stomach bug. I mean, you're going to poop, you're going to puke, you're going to be okay. But it's like, this is something that's so much more serious. And like 0.02 fatality rate is, is like, that seems like a small number until it happens to your family. And then it's like you've really got to think about like if something would happen to a Dave, I would be distraught. Uh, Chris. Well, it's not, eh. it's not me that I'm worried about. I'm worried if I get it, my parents and my kids and my wife and my friends and, you know, if any of them die from it because they got it from me, how do you live with that? Yeah. That's kind of what I think too. That's what I'm, kind of, that's what I'm careful outside of like work and home and not, not um right because darwin's not at work here you're not going to be stupid <laughs> you're not the one that's going to die right and i'm in contact with you're going to be stupid and somebody else is going to suffer for it and mm-hmm. it's it's awful yeah well they say that if you have no symptoms you're probably in the clear but uh, do we know that for sure no and so back circling back around to rugby you know, we could be asymptomatic and be out there playing ball, and you don't know. You don't know who's got it, who doesn't have it. And so it just makes me wonder, are we actually going to have a season? Right now, I'd have to say no, and and that sucks. It sucks. But I, what do you guys think? Is it the safe thing to not have a season? We're not starting in October, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's too yeah. soon. We're not ready. Right. You know, I, I think there's a good chance Florida teams are are chomping at the bit to get back in into their facilities and, and practice. You know, we, we all want to get back in our chairs. God, I am dying to get back. I there's no I live on a dirt road. My driveway is not suitable for a chair with six wheels on it because the two I need to push aren't touching the ground most of the time. <laughs> I, I, I need to get back in my chair. I haven't done a darn thing. Um, I can't wait to, to play again, but it's, the risk is too big. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and what gym would facilitate? What gym would facilitate this and take that kind of risk either? Yeah, well, not here for sure, but you know, I I yeah, want to try and get my I want to get my guys together, apart together, where we can go push outside, not close to each other, and just have that opportunity to kind of you know keep our team bond and and get a little exercise in without right. taking any real risks. But, you know, there are guys on my team who need help putting on their tape. How do you go about doing that? Do you, are you going to use your mouth for your tape? Are you going to uh, have somebody helping you? And then I assume that both player and whoever's helping have to be masked at the time to make sure we're okay and then clean afterwards. So, you know, that whole COVID-19 task force uh, has had a lot of discussions about what it looks like to come back to playing rugby and playing safely and, you know, having a practice or having a, a game and how many teams can we have in a place and uh, where can they come from and so many factors, right? Do you want somebody from a hot spot like Detroit or Chicago coming play against you if there's not a breakout in your area? Probably not. Yeah. even though we may not show any symptoms when we get on a plane and fly to where you are or drive. So there's a, there's a lot of factors to consider. And so, you don't want to get on a plane because that even it increases the chances of, of getting, you know, and then uh, I'm curious, has, has, has Demby talked about this with you guys? What, what, what's going to go on with a stampede? I really haven't heard anything yet. I think they're, he hasn't really talked to me about practice starting up, when it's going to start up, what it looks like. I mean, he's in, he, he's in contact with the whole team and, and communicating with all of us, but it really hasn't been a topic of discussion between him and I. Yeah. I think it's just something yeah. that's so far off at this point that it's not worth even getting our hopes up for it. So we're, we're getting near the hour mark. So I want to throw a little bit of sunshine because we've been talking about death and destruction for the last <laughs> 10, 15 minutes. Um, I want to, I want to yeah. finish up with one easy softball question that you're going to yeah. knock right out of the park. And oh, so goodness. say we were to have nationals this past year, who do you think uh -huh. would have been the top three teams? I didn't make you say number one. No. I just said top three. That's still Between really, really nice. <laughs> Between the Jersey question and the Marine football question and now this. <laughs> We're the I'll worst. We're the worst. Uh, who would I think the top three teams would have been? Well, I'm I'm very partial to the Stampede, so I'm going to put them as, as number one. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, well, you know, uh, I think – uh, Denver and Phoenix would have been the other two. Yeah. I think it, that would have been, I think that would have been a really good nationals to watch between those three teams. They are. We do too. Yeah. I, I think D2 would incredibly competitive. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. That number, that number eight seeded team, they were coming. <laughs> they were coming hard. <laughs> no, you're right. There was a lot of good D2 teams as well. I mean, it's, I think it would have been a really good national. I think those are the three teams that I like to watch play each other the most. Yeah. All right. Well, Hez, thank you so much for joining us. Sorry about some tough questions in there. Thank you for sticking with us through COVID. 
Um, it's really <laughs> been again. great talking to you. Um, and we really appreciate you and everything that you do for the sport, for the league. Uh, Absolutely. Just being a generally good person. So thanks for sticking uh, with a bunch of jerk bags on a Sunday afternoon. Oh and, my gosh, uh, I love it. Thank you guys for inviting me to do this. Absolutely. It's been great. I want to throw yeah, one more thing you. out there. One more thing out there before uh, before we say goodbye, Heath. Anybody out there listening that wants to be a helper for a rugby team, this is like the uh, the standard, and uh, <laughs> you, you can get in touch with her, and she can tell you all about it. Is that okay, Heath? Yeah, yeah. yeah I wouldn't say we need low more, standard. <laughs> we need more amazing volunteers like you. Thanks so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you. Thank you.